We're in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 now. The Lord has been talking to his disciples, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's told them that except their righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, they will not enter the kingdom. And then in the verse just before our text this morning, he tells them to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That word perfect means complete, finished out, mature, complete in every way, having found the final, the telos, the end of the goal of the thing. And that's what the Lord's trying to get us to do is to understand things more fully, understanding the law more fully, understanding the commandments more fully, so that we may fill it out to a point of completeness, to a point of perfection. And so that's what he's telling us now with respect to three things, three works of righteousness or deeds of righteousness. One is giving to the needy, the other is praying, and the third is fasting. These come, of course, from Psalm. They are the uh, deeds that are expected of upright, godly people. And the Lord is not disparaging or amending in any way that we are to do these things, except a word of caution. Very first word, chapter 6, 1, beware. There's a wariness that needs to go, and we need to avoid the things that he mentions. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we're talking about giving this morning. This is a practice, of course, that is as old as the Old Testament and beyond. The Lord really expects his people to give to help those who are needy, who have a need in their life. Could be anything, but we think of it in financial terms. Give to those who for many reasons, many beyond their control, are not as affluent as they need to be to get by in a cash intense society like we've created. And so the Lord wants us to remember the Old Testament law we saw a few weeks ago pointed out the importance of loving your neighbor by leaving a little bit around the edges of the field when you glean and a little bit more in the orchard and in the vineyard when you harvest so that they can glean the things they need and the poor of the land can thus be provided for. I'll just make this statement and I don't have time to prove it, but I'll just let you ponder it and see how ridiculous it is. If God's people gave the way God wanted us to, 
we wouldn't need any poverty program. Not from the government and not from professional corporate charities. It may sound a little extreme, but if God's people gave the way God wants us to for the needy, because we would give with a discriminating hand. We would find lots of people in poverty, but we would find some in poverty by their own doing, by their rebellion toward God's law, the way they handled marriage and divorce and illegitimate children and many things like that. They've come to poverty by their own dreadful sinfulness. And so a giving hand would also be a call to repentance. A giving hand would also bear witness to the gospel that they are to receive, but the most important thing they receive is the gift of eternal life. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And as we would share, we would share with them the things that they need to know. Others are impoverished by things that are not really their responsibility or their fault. They have circumstances of life, they have disabilities, they have uh, displacement, they are strangers, they don't have connections, they don't have employment opportunities, in which case the bowels of compassion would give to them without recompense, loan them money without interest, consider the loan a gift if it's not able to be paid back. It would be generous beyond measure. One of the things I noticed a few years back, it seems like just last year, but it was before COVID. I I think of everything in terms of COVID. Do you do that now, that that dreadful year of 20 and early 21 where we were just completely changed in everything we did? Well, this was a a year or two before COVID, B.C., (laughs) we had a little seminar here at our church a weekend, and, and uh, most of us came. It was a good in, invitation, and we studied generosity. I think it was called a journey of generosity. And one of the things that impressed me was the emphasis that was given to spontaneous and genuine generosity. That is, when the Lord impresses upon you to meet a need with all the prayer, with all the love, with all of the discrimination and, and discernment that your soul can muster, you try some way or another to meet that need. Probably, principally, financially. In other words, there's a joy in finding a need, perhaps an unknown need, perhaps something that's been conveyed or has come to you through second and third and fourth parties and you, you know about it. And you just, with your spouse or ever how you need to work your home and domestic finances, don't do anything <laughs> without consulting your spouse, especially something like this, but just meet that need. I think we've become a little too locked in by the government laws that say we've got to give to a tax-exempt charity who will then employ all sorts of means and policies and comply with all kinds of government 
restrictions and regulations, and finally a dollar makes it to a needy person. But how much has been consumed? How much has been lost through the changing of hands? All for a tax deduction. There's a sense in which God's people's got to forget about what Caesar does. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. But we've got to get back to doing what our heart tells us to do, that our God has commanded us to do, and wherein we'll find the joy of giving. It's okay to give to the large charities. I'm not trying to talk them down. I'm just trying to encourage you to look at another way. You see, there's only two things in Scripture that justify our giving. Number one is giving to the needy, about which we speak this morning. The other is the support of the ministry, the carrying forward of the gospel, the Great Commission, which is making disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all things that the Lord has commanded. Those are the two great missions. Those are the two great uses of our dollars, giving to the truly needy and giving to the work of the proclamation of the gospel. Anything else is extraneous to biblical mandate. You can do it. It's wonderful. You can worry about the planet. You can worry about your pets. You can worry about many other things. But those are the things that godly people should have on their heart and their mind when they think in terms of generosity and giving. Seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. In the New Testament, giving is spoken of in... I'll just speak of one of those, and that's the, the one that speaks of giving to the needy. Uh, we looked at this in quite a bit of detail back in the spring or the late winter when we looked at uh, uh, generosity and giving uh, as a topic for four Sundays. But it was the collection for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul, in his third missionary journey, is coming back through those cities of Macedonia and Greece and those areas there in the eastern Mediterranean that was the travels and the mission of Paul. He's circulating back through there, taking an offering and a collection. And he's going to take it eventually back to the poor saints who are suffering from something out of their control, famine, as well as persecution and privation in other ways. He's going to take a generous offering back to those people who are in need. And so he tells them in uh, several chapters of 2 Corinthians in the letter he wrote to the Corinthians on this subject. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an extraction. We're not talking about taxes. We're talking about generosity. Giving to the needy. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whosoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, and he quoted Proverbs 11.34 when he talked about whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And there are several Proverbs that speak of our giving to the needy. If I have time, I'll read a couple of them for you. But this, now he quotes Psalm, Psalm 112. He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. That particular psalm is really a benediction. I'm, I'm sorry, a beatitude that talks about the blessed man. And the blessed man is the one who gives. And it talks about giving generously and giving to the needy. And that particular psalm, like the first psalm that we have, Psalm 1, that has a, a, a beatitude in it, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. They're psalms that ultimately refer to Christ. The notion of Christian giving descends from Christ, who he is and what he has done. He was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. That we, through his poverty, might be made rich. It's that great substitutionary work of Christ that brings so much to our advantage when we think about the gospel. We think about what Christ has done in our place, receiving the penalty of our sin, humbling himself in condescension to our estate, becoming a full human in our place, living a life of, of difficulty and a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and knowing privation. He did not have, during his earthly ministry, an opulent home like ministers seem to insist on these days. No place to lay his head. The foxes have their holes, the eagles have their nests, but the Lord didn't look to those things. He gave to the point of poverty, and he bestowed all of that bounty upon us in a very real spiritual sense. He gave us not only of himself, but he gave himself. And so the, the uh, um, apostle, in speaking of that, he distributed freely. That's a Christological psalm, Psalm 112. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about practicing righteousness, doing righteousness. That's what our text just said as we read a moment ago. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity which through us you will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And by the way, that is liturgy. The thanksgiving to God is an act of worship. We worship in this room and in this building at this hour. But a great worship is when we Give to the poor and give to the needy. 
By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. That's undoubtedly worship. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. What a better way to preach the gospel than to be generous in your giving to the needy. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon us. It elicits intercession. Where your money goes, your heart goes. Where your heart goes, your prayers ascend. No wonder Paul ends up this particular section of that epistle and says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's the heart of giving, I think, at least in that direction, is where the Lord wants us to be and where he's pushing us to be. Now, the scribes and, and hypocrites <laughs> and Pharisees of Jesus' day had done with this wonderful act of generosity what they had done with the law and the teachings of Moses. They had turned it into something that was self-serving and self-glorifying. And so the question, the, the uh, beware, the cautions that the Lord gives here, he says, when you give to the needy, do it in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, there's two exaggerations, I think, that the Lord uses to make a point in this passage. That's one of them. There's a sense in which your central nervous system will not let your left hand not know what your right hand is doing. But if it's done without fanfare, if it's done without elevation, if it's done without any kind of, of uh, ostentation, there's a sense in which it's just a slight move of the hand to move from the purse to the person to which you're giving. It can be done sincerely. It can be done simply it can be done secretly. We'll comment. We have two or three other opportunities. I keep putting it off. I put it off last week. I'll put it off this week. We'll talk about the rewards in heaven a little later. But the Bible does talk about there's such a thing as reward. In fact, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 3, and he says, we're, we're doing works, and these works are evaluated. Some of them are gold, silver, and precious stone. Some are wood, hay, and stubble. The bad news is these elements will be tried by fire. Guess which ones will be burned up. So will be our reward in heaven. You have no reward in heaven when you do this ostentatious kind of giving. There's a sec second piece of hyperbole in this passage, and that is the blowing of the trumpets. Um, everything I've read is some pretty good sources, and I trust them because I certainly don't know but they say that that was not a practice in ancient Israel. That there's no continuing evidence from any good source that they would blow trumpets and make big fanfare when the Pharisees would give their gifts in the temple, putting it in the coffers of the temple, or when they would gather at these very busy intersections, the corner of streets, and they would give to the people who were begging on the streets or they would pass their money along. 
that simply is a term that talks about, when you talk about trumpeting something, it means you make a big announcement. What in, what's envisioned here is the Roman army with the great herald trumpets out in front of the phalanx. And that lets you know that it is great fanfare. And Jesus uses that expression, a very familiar scene, to say that's what these people are doing. They are blowing the herald trumpets that go in front of Caesar's army to make to draw attention to what they're doing in their giving. And I think this is the touch of humor in the Lord. You can imagine this ridiculous scene. Don't do that. Don't make that kind of deal out of your giving. Okay, I promised you a couple of passages. Nobody is happy with my preaching. I should let it go that, but I will make an exception or two. Except for a handful of people that just love it when I go back to the Old Testament. As if there's something old about the Old Testament. But let me give you a couple of Proverbs that might be inspirational to you as you think about your generosity. Proverbs 19:17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Have you ever thought about that? Every nickel and dime you give to the poor is giving it to the Lord, and he appreciates it. And we'll reckon it according. It is, let me see where I am now, 21, 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. The righteous gives and does not hold back. Here's another one. I'm just, just sort of scanning through a few of them that have to do with our giving. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. But he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. And then finally, you remember the very end of Proverbs, that wonderful description of the wife, the excellent woman. What does it say about her? Well, many things. We hear about it quite often from time to time. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. Father, we ask that you'll let our hearts be informed, softened. Give us, Father, wisdom and discernment and help us, Lord, to from this day forward do our work simply, secretly, only for thy glory and enable us, Father, to bring much glory to thee. Amen.